A few weeks ago, we acknowledged and recognized the Battle of the Atlantic Sunday, and it put me in mind of a really great novel um, that uh, was written by C.M. Forster called The Good Shepherd. You may have seen recently Tom Hanks was in a movie based on this book called Greyhound. One of the things that I loved about that book was that it was based on uh, a, a convoy in the Battle of the Atlantic. A man who is the commander of that convoy, he has a few destroyers at his disposal, but is shepherding many of the uh, merchant marine that are trying to resupply England during the Second World War. And he's set upon by a group of German U-boats. As they prowl around and try to sink various ships, what was really interesting about that book and also about the movie is that it's not actually a book that's filled with a lot of action. The commander who is the central part of that story, who is uh, captaining a destroyer, doesn't actually say very much. He gives orders that are clear and direct. He is the one who tells one destroyer to go after a U-boat, tells uh, the convoy to slow down a bit so one of the lagging ships can catch up. He orders the evacuation of one ship that's hit by torpedoes. If you look at it simply from the surface, not much seems to be going on, but when you read the book, you hear his entire thought patterns. Again and again, he is asking himself, how fast do we need to go in order to preserve fuel and at the same time not to leave any of our merchant marine behind? When I send an order to another of the destroyers that he's an American commander sending uh, orders to British and Canadian ships, he wants to be clear and direct with the fewest possible words, but at the same time does not want to seem brusque because he does not want to offend uh, allied nations. What's so great about that story is it's a picture of leadership in which people are encouraged to ask the question, which do I trust more, my fear and confusion, or do I trust this man who is the commander of our flotilla? We find that there are many ways in which this man's thought patterns and understandings are not well understood, but they put their faith in him, and as a result, they make it safely across the dangerous seas to England. It's a great book, but I recommend it not just because it's a good book, but because it also, I think, speaks to the nature of Jesus' leadership. Here we see in this story from Mark's Gospel, where Jesus, just like that commander crossing the ocean, is the person who is the captain of our souls. He sleeps in a boat that's beset by waves and storms, and the disciples are threatened by confusion and fear, and him by standing up, by displaying his authority, gets them safely across to the other side. This is a story that is not simply about Jesus as a good captain of a boat, but I believe it's a story that speaks to us today. Most of us, of course, aren't sailors, but we face challenges in life where we look to Jesus as the captain of our souls, and when we look to Jesus and put our trust in him, we can be confident he'll get us to the other side. I want to speak to you today about two main things. First of all, about Jesus's power and leadership while we're in the midst of chaos and secondly, the way that Jesus models authority for us, something particularly important for us who are fathers today, who have authority over our children, and must look to Jesus to know how that authority can be exercised in a godly way. So as we delve into this story a little bit, you'll notice that last week uh, Alana spoke of, and, and the week before I spoke of, Jesus' uh, parables and teachings. But what I also mentioned a few weeks ago is how Jesus is portrayed in Mark's gospel particularly strongly, not just as the person who speaks wise words, but about the one who takes action. And we find in the next few stories now in Mark's gospel, that's exactly what Jesus does. In the story today, we find that Jesus stands up in the boat, says, peace, be still. 
and the wind and the waves cease, even though just a moment before they had threatened the lives of everyone who were in the boats uh, following Jesus as well as those who were in the boat with Jesus. In the next story, we find Jesus confronting evil in the face of a legion of demons who have uh, captured and taken hold of a man in the land of the Gerasenes. And Jesus, with power and authority, casts them out. These are both great stories, and in that story, uh, we hear of Jesus confronting evil and casting out demons. And although that's powerful for us, I think most of us most identify with the story today. Not because we are sailors, but because most of us don't face uh, extraordinary evil on a regular basis. But most of us, I believe, are threatened by the fear of chaos and disorder. And Jesus, in this story, displays his power over these things. You know, I think for many of us in a suburban parish live middle-class lives. We're not fantastically wealthy, but we are people who I think often fear, most of all, the fear that comes from chaos and uncertainty. Just uh, a few weeks ago, my family and I had the privilege of purchasing a new home. So we'll be within walking distance of St. Paul's. Uh, we've been living in Barhaven and still are for the next few months. But it put me in mind of how many people in our circumstances uh, place the importance of financial security above many other things. I want to make sure I can pay off my mortgage to make sure that my children aren't out begging for bread because I've made mistakes, and so we take out insurance on ourselves. If something should happen, I want to make sure I mitigate risks so that my mortgage will be paid off if anything happened to me or to my wife as breadwinners for our family. We're often very careful of putting away savings for a rainy day when our roof needs to be uh, repaired. We also are people who plot out our education and careers. My daughter, my oldest daughter now, is entering grade 11, and so she's making choices about what courses she wants to make with an eye to a future career. Even when I was confused as a younger man, not sure where I wanted to go, I started off with a science degree and eventually made my way to theology. I made sure that I completed the steps that I needed to complete, didn't burn any bridges, because I didn't want myself to be out of options when the future comes. These are all wise things to do. The scriptures tell us to be prudent about the future, to plan, to not leave ourselves uh, completely unprotected when the unexpected happens. But sadly, events like our COVID pandemic remind us that as much control as we want to have and as prudent as we are, there are always forces of chaos and uncertainty that threaten us. And these are often the things that keep us awake at night. Some of you I know watching today may have lost your jobs or been laid off for a certain period of time during the COVID pandemic because of the effect it had on businesses. Those who are students may be unable to celebrate graduation in a proper way, and you wonder what university or college or trade school might be like afterwards. Many of us as well worry about our parents and about those who are vulnerable populations. I know I'm not alone in clergy and wondering and worrying about what will happen to churches as COVID recedes. Will those who called churches home still consider them homes? Still love them, want to be part of these communities when COVID is over? Or will they drift away and find some other ways of finding meaning and purpose in their lives? These are the kinds of things that often make us fearful because we do not have control. And when we do not have control, it makes us worry whether we are vulnerable and without protection. This is one of the things that makes this story so powerful. 
is that when Jesus is in the boat with his disciples, and not just his boat, but we also hear that many other boats are following them across this lake. These are people who knew what they were doing on the lake. These were fishermen who were on that lake every day of their lives. These are people who knew very well how to steer a boat, how to do things correctly, and yet even them, in the midst of all of these waves and these winds, are gripped with fear. And they shake Jesus awake, and they ask a very reasonable question that many of us ask when chaos intrudes upon our lives. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Jesus, do you not care that COVID uh, racks our world? Do you not care that I have financial worries, that I have worries about my family? Do you not care because right now I feel the force of chaos blowing itself against the ship of my life? What's powerful about this story is that when Jesus is shaken awake, he is not filled with alarm and he's not filled with fear but instead almost effortlessly ex exercises his authority and says to the forces of chaos, peace, be still, and afterwards, immediately, a dead calm descends. Jesus displays his power by taming the chaos that threatens those he loves. You know, this is a powerful story about Jesus' uh, authority over the wind and the waves, but one thing that you may notice as you read through the Old Testament is that Jesus is not simply doing this in an unprecedented way. He is continuing a strong theme that exists throughout all of the scriptures. The God is a God who brings order out of chaos and tames those risks and tames those fears that intrude upon human life. Think back to the very first verses of the Bible, the first chapters of Genesis. If you can remember from your own memory, you would probably tell us, and that's usually what I think, is that it tells the story of God creating everything. Of course, God does create all things seen and unseen. The Nicene Creed tells us this. We believe it as a church. But what's interesting about the first verses of Genesis is that it's not actually the story of God primarily creating all things. Instead, it is the story of God bringing order where there's only chaos. Listen to these verses from Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void. Darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Did you catch that? The very beginning, it says God created the heavens and the earth, but then what does it do immediately after telling us this detail? It goes into details of how God takes something that is formless and void and dark. Formlessness and void and darkness covered the face of the deep, deep waters. And all there is is a wind from God blowing over those waters. And what does God do? God sees darkness. He sees formlessness and void. No space and time, nothing to order our lives by. But then what does God do? He says, let there be light. He speaks and light appears and suddenly darkness has a boundary. Where darkness had ruled chaotically over all that is, God speaks light and darkness suddenly is pushed back because now it has a boundary. There's no 
daytime or nighttime. We cannot order our days until God says, let there be light. And then only after God speaks, he says, there was evening and morning the first day. No order to anything until God speaks into the void and makes order. The rest of Genesis's first chapter goes on and says again and again this order-making process in which God takes what's formless and void and makes something orderly and meaningful and safe. The waves crash around and then God creates a boundary to the seas by bringing forth land. The land is barren and formless until God creates vegetation and animals and it teems with life. What was barren and lifeless becomes full of abundance. The moon and the sun are created, the stars to guide us by night. And we find the crowning achievement of all of this is that out of the formless earth, God creates the first human beings. And those human beings are given order, are given a mandate, create order where there is only chaos. A mandate that comes about because they are formed in the image of God and therefore their task is to bring order where they can. We look from the very beginning, the story of God's work with his creation is the story of God mastering chaos, showing his complete control over it, not by wrestling with it physically, by simply speaking a word and chaos flees and replaced by order goodness, and peace. Think back to the Exodus story where Israel is in the chaos fleeing from the Egyptians and they are cornered in the Red Sea with the Egyptian army behind them and the Red Sea in front of them and this ocean of chaos and waves blocks them from their freedom. And we read in Exodus 14, Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. The Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry land and the waters were divided. And the Israelites went into the sea on dry ground, the waters forming a wall for them on their right and on their left. God leads his people by blowing this same kind of wind that blew on that day in the Sea of Galilee. God has mastered so that the wind obeys him to tame the sea so that his people might be saved. But you know, even in the midst of all of these ways in which throughout the Old Testament, God shows his power and his glory over chaos, human beings feared the chaos that life brings. Most famously in the book of Job, Job is uh, finding himself in absolute terror. So much evil has happened to him. Chaos has surrounded his life. So much that he depended on is now shaken up. And he asks God, where are you? Much like the disciples asked Jesus. Do you care about your servants at all? And then God speaks out of the whirlwind, the chaotic whirlwind of wind. But then in the midst of all of this chaos, God speaks orderly words and says to Job, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? He goes on to say, who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb, when I made the clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed bounds for it and said bars and doors and said thus far shall you come and no farther and here shall your proud waves be stopped. He puts Job in his place and says, Job, there are forces of chaos beyond your control and power. But God says that though you cannot control them, I can. What's so wonderful about the story of Jesus crossing the sea here is that when God asked Job, where were you? Are you able to put a boundary to the sea? And Job must answer, no, we turn to the son of man, the captain of our souls. And when God asked Jesus that question, he can say, yes, I was there. 
when you laid the foundation of the world. And yes, I do put boundaries on the sea. And yes, I can demand peace, be still, and find that the waves are stilled and the storm comes to an end. Here is an invitation for us. We who feel like Job many times, wondering about the chaos of this world and frightened by our lack of power over it, to ask the same question of ourselves that Jesus asked his disciples, why are you afraid? Do you not have faith? Jesus asks, what are you most afraid of? Are you afraid of the chaos and the power of the whirlwind? Or do you have a healthy respect and a healthy fear for the power of God who controls all these things? Here's an invitation for us to say, yes, it's true that there are chaotic forces in this world. Yes, it's true that there are things I have no power over. But yes, it is also true that the one who laid down his life for us, who rose from the dead, this person who gave so much for us because no greater love hath a man than the love he shows when he lays down his life for his friends, this person who calls us friends, this person who loves us, it's the power over chaos to bring order where there seems to be nothing but fear and darkness. When we fear what the future brings for us personally, Jesus says, I cannot always tell you or will not always tell you what will come, but I will tell you this, I will be with you in the boat as you navigate the sea. And for me as a clergy person and for all of you who love this church as we look towards the end of COVID, thanks be to God, we do not know what will happen. But what we do know is that this church is Christ's bride. He loves it. He laid down his life for it. And he has power to tame the chaos our culture, our world brings to our lives and still help the church triumph and to bring the message of gospel, the message of hope to those who so sorely need it. Do you worry about the future? It's fair enough. The future can be scary. But remember, our faith is in someone who is stronger than anything the future can bring. The one who brings order out of chaos and goodness where there's nothing but evil. It's an encouragement for us, but as I mentioned on Father's Day, what was also striking to me about this story is how Jesus exercises the authority he has. Do you notice how Jesus speaks to the storm? There's no compromise. There's no subtlety. He simply says to the chaos, peace. Be still. He commands it with a commanding voice. But when he is frustrated with the disciples, what does he say? Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? In one he commands, but to those he loves, he convinces. Jesus, I think, models for us, all of us who are in positions of authority, but today particularly as fathers, models for us what true authority looks like. An authority that protects those who are under his charge, but at the same time encourages and blesses and challenges those under his charge to be the best people that they can be. Again and again, we find this authority Jesus displaying in his life. When he confronts the demons who inhabit the Gerasene demoniac, he demands that they leave, but he treats with tender this tenderness this man who had been brutalized for so many years. When Jesus is with children and his disciples shoo them away, he tells his disciples to stop and he brings those children onto his knee to bless them. 
when he runs across a woman who is caught in a serious sin of adultery and men surround her seeking to do her violence, Jesus steps in and protects her with his power, but also gently challenges her to go and leave her life of sin. We find that even with his disciples who failed him, Peter, who denies him three times, he gathers him once again on the seashore in this very same lake. And he says, Peter, feed my lambs. Jesus shows what true power or true godly power and godly authority look like because he uses it as the good shepherd to defend his sheep, but also to feed them and to challenge them to become the best that they are meant to be. The privilege we have as fathers is the very same privilege that Jesus, or is the very same model that Jesus gives to us. A model of using authority not to tyrannize, not to dominate, but to use authority to protect those that God gives us under our charge, and to challenge them and to love them. One of the great privileges we have as fathers is that even though at times our children may not understand what we do, and we may not always feel appreciated, in times where we feel very tired indeed and we doubt ourselves, God has given us the enormous privilege of modeling the authority of Christ to our little ones, to show them what godly authority looks like, not something to be afraid of, but something to respect because it's something worthy of our trust. You have a wonderful privilege, fathers. You have the privilege of loving your wives. As Ephesians tells us, husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And the love you show for your wife, you can show your children what Christ is really like, the tenderness and love you show her. And you can show your children what God is like by loving them, by protecting them, and raising them up well. I'm grateful for being a dad. And I'm grateful for dads out there who daily do what Christ shows us to do, to show authority over those that we love, but to show them an authority that is loving and kind. This Father's Day, remember, you don't need to be perfect. What you need to do, though, is point them to Christ, who is perfect. But when you reflect Christ, you are doing a good job as a dad. And when you reflect Christ, you are giving them all they need to have a successful life and to grow into all they were meant to be. Let us pray. Lord our God, we thank you for all that you show to us. We thank you that in Jesus, we see made manifest, embodied, your power over chaos, but also to see embodied your profound love for your creation, not interested in domination, not interested in tyranny, but instead interested in exercising authority in ways that bring safety to the vulnerable and challenge the strong to grow into all they were meant to be. We thank you not only that you protect us and that you guide us, but we thank you that you show us a model for what godly authority looks like. Help everyone in positions of authority to follow in Christ's footsteps. But today on Father's Day, I pray that you'd especially pour your blessings and your grace upon all who are called to be fathers and father figures in the lives of those around them. Bless us, Lord. We know that chaos often surrounds us, and we know that self-doubt often assails us. But help us to know that you're in the boat with us, that you are the captain of our souls, and that you will lead us to a better and safer place, if only we trust in you. This we ask in Christ's holy name.